0: Hello, Marvelites. You're listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 614. I'm Ryan Pinagos, aka Agent M.
1: I'm Angelique, aka Agent A. Can I (laughs) I take that one? Yeah. Why not? Alright, cool. I like it.
0: Yeah, I do too. This is, of course, the official Marvel podcast where we get to talk about all the things happening this week in Marvel that we're keen on. That's right. We're here to talk about games, movies, comics, books, TV, uh, other stuff that things. we're excited this about. This amazing
1: shirt you have on right uh, now. Yeah,
0: nobody can see it, but it's is a ridiculously patterned uh, so Deadpool good. shirt that's mostly pinks and reds. And it's got Deadpool wearing a, uh, like a ship captain's hat inside a life preserver and the life preserver says toot toot
1: this week we are talking to david betancourt aka david betancourt (laughs) um i mean that is that is how you pronounce his name it's david betancourt um he is the author of avengers assembled the origin story of earth's mightiest heroes
0: I'm so excited to hear that I didn't get to join you for it, but it's going to be a good one. We'll get to that in just a bit. I'm going to volunteer to get us started with this week's news. Do
1: it. Save us.
0: Because this week is full of glorious purpose, thanks to a new trailer <laughs> and poster for Marvel Studios Loki Season 2. Now, within the last week, it's back. It's back. we got it's back. It's back. not it's one, back. but two new posters for... The new season and a new trailer which is very exciting do you have a
1: favorite poster i'm so I'm they're so, so
0: both of them the, the so new ones good. are so gorgeous if you haven't seen them dear listeners go to marvel.com please check them out go to our social pages loki social pages they're they're really fun they're weird and trippy as you want them to be for this series of course Loki season two picks up in the aftermath of the shocking season finale. When Loki <laughs> finds himself in a battle for the soul of the time variance authority, you got Mobius Hunter B-15 and a bunch of new and returning characters. And then Loki is trying to figure out what is going on with the multiverse. He's searching for Sylvie. He's searching for judge Renslayer He's searching for miss minutes and the truth of what it means to possess free will. And as I mentioned, glorious purpose.
1: I gotta say, yeah. if Tara Strong was missing, I would also go look for Tara Strong, aka Miss Minutes. That would be exactly what I would be doing.
0: Holy moly, we are... Angelique. We're two months away from the launch of Loki Season 2 when it premieres October 6, 2023 on Disney+. Plus. Oh.
1: And you know what? The great thing is that gives everyone just enough time to go back and rewatch season 1 streaming on Disney Plus. Heck, go do it. Yeah. Do it, do it, do it, do it. Do it. Uh, in the meantime, mm. uh, you now have more ways to watch yet another one of my favorite things in the entire world. That's right, Marvel Studios Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. It is now streaming. That is right. There's more reasons to go Watch it at Disney Plus. It is streaming right now on Disney Plus, and also as part of the release on Disney Plus, the film will have an IMAX enhanced version. Yeah. And also this week, the film is now available on 4K, Ultra HD, Blu ray, and DVD just for y'all who want to have it physically in your hands. Those releases will have exclusive bonus content, including deleted scenes, a gag reel, which If you've seen this movie, you can only imagine what Hmm. that gag reel is going to look like. An audio commentary from the one and only James Gunn.
0: So good. All right. So you got lots of stuff to watch. How about something to read? How about the origin of Doctor Strange, which is coming soon in novel? Form. out in bookstores March 26th Doctor Strange Dimension War is going to explore of course those original adventures of Earth's Sorcerer Supreme this will be written by New York Times bestselling author James Lovegrove who did The Age of Odin and has done more it's going to cover Doctor Strange's earliest days his origin all that stuff but Cool, because you're going to get to read about uh, a lot of those characters that are crucial to Doctor Strange, the Ancient One, Wong, Clea, and, of course, some of his uh, wonderful enemies and different things. The Dream Kingdom of Nightmare, the Dark Dimension, and beyond. Nightmare, such a chump, but always will be one of my favorite, (laughs) favorite villains. Like, he always gets clowned. And I he always comes back and he's just such a cool design and he's so weird and he's got a great horse i love nightmare so much
1: you love i mean i'm not surprised that you love nightmare i i know i know how you roll ryan panagos You know, and I love the fact that, you know, for those who don't know as much about Clea, that we're going to learn a little bit more about Clea. And I love the fact that we're going back and we're talking about characters' origins. Um, If anybody knows anything about me, like, I love a good origin story.
0: It's time for some crime, baby! Crime novels. That is, Marvel Crime is a hard-edged crime fiction program for adults, and it was announced this week featuring three original novels, each focused on a different Marvel character. The first title debuts in 2024, with the other two to follow in 2025. First up is a story inspired by Jessica Jones, written by Lisa Jewell, author of 19 novels, including Then She Was Gone, and None of This Is True. Then thriller writer S.A. Crosby, author of Razorblade Years and All the Sinners Bleed, will tackle Luke Cage in his Marvel crime novel. Very excited for that. And then... My boy, one of my BFFs, Alex Segura, who is the author of *Secret Identity* and the Pete Fernandez Miami mystery series, will write a story starring Daredevil. I've been hearing Alex tell me about this for a long time. He's very, very excited, Um and he's gonna—he's gonna crush it. He is—they're uh, all gonna crush it. Very much looking forward to Marvel crime novels coming starting 2024.
1: But. Also, the time has come for RPG fans. Uh, the Marvel Multiverse Role Playing Game Core Rulebook is out. We told you that it was in pre-orders. We told you it was coming, and now it is out the playtest has been out for a while but now the full official core rulebook for the new marvel multiverse rpg is here uh game designer matt forbeck and the team making the rpg have refined a ton of things based on user feedback and testing and all the things that they do to care about fans
0: you know actually like i was like trying uh, i was looking at how they've updated it and it's really fascinating because the the, the playtest came out like a year, a year and change ago, whatever it was and over time they've released updates and downloadable things that people can check out and I was looking at uh, we have an interview with Matt on marvel.com and he was just like yeah we've changed this one thing from 25 to like 6 in order to simplify it but make it fun- more fun. We've done this thing to make it clearer and quicker like making the, the it just like this is something that I think is going to benefit people who want to not necessarily have to have to do, you know, 12-hour games. You could probably do those, but these could be faster. You could get yeah. in more of them. These adventures could be quicker. Uh, and it's easy
1: access, excited. right? Like I yeah. love that because it 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 brings in like folks who are just getting into RPGs but also, you know, for folks who are hardcore Role-playing game aficionados, you know, beyond the core rulebook, there actually also are expansions on the way. Yeah. So the Cataclysm of Kang, oh, that's so good. Mm-hmm. Should, should I think? I think I should give it more, more. Put a little juice on that. Put some stank on it. The Cataclysm of Kang. Yeah. I think that was the one. Uh, is coming in November. That's a 256 page epic adventure that features over 60 new profiles in it, and even an overarching story. Mm -hmm. Also, for those of us who love the X-Men, the X-Men expansion is slated for early 2024. That means you only have months in which to get your things done. It's crammed full of all sorts of details, not just about the X-Men, but all other mutant teams out there. Ooh, okay. It'll also have some new rules in it, mostly focusing on the thing that the X Men have focused on for years and sometimes get right and sometimes <laughs> uh, eh, not so much. Teamwork. Uh, and also, for those of us who love us uh, some Spidey, the Spidey Verse expansion was recently announced. There's so much. Angelique, uh, I didn't understand
0: the word that you said.
1: Sorry, let me do it one more time for you. And the Spider Verse expansion was just recently announced. Nick You better be proud of me, sir. Hmm. I've been working on it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, of course. Get your copy of the Marvel Multiverse Role Playing Game Core Rulebook wherever books are sold. Now it's happening. It's real. Let us know if y'all are playing it. We want to. We want to hear. I want to see
1: pictures. I want to see breakdowns. I need dialogue. Character sheets.
0: Yeah, if you're making your own characters, like let, let us know. I'm very curious. Very very cool. All right. Did you know that a is for autumn, but A is also for Alien, and that's my dumb way of saying there's a new Alien number one comic book series coming this autumn in November from creators Declan Shalvey and Andrea Brocardo. They are currently working on the very, very good Alien series. Uh, According to the press release, the new series will take place in two time periods, with Declan also doing art duties. Sweet, sweet Declan, our favorite, maybe favorite Irishman? I don't know. We have a lot of wonderful, wonderful Irish creators. Anyway, let's keep going. Dex is going to be drawing flashback scenes of a doomed earlier crew in each issue. As readers learn more about the mistakes and goals of the first mission, they'll discover the full unsettling scope of what the present day protagonists have gotten themselves into, Uh, which is pretty cool. It's connected to the current series. So if you have been reading that, it's going to be wonderful, but it's also going to be a great fresh start for new readers. So if you haven't been reading, shame on you, but no shame. You could just jump on with this new one in November. Um, There's a new subspecies of xenomorphs that they've introduced. And so it's like we're developing that and getting into that. But they're also laying the groundwork for an even greater threat. Very, very cool. And before that new Alien number one launches, and after this current series of Alien finishes up really soon, there's going to be a uh, special Alien annual number one, also written by Declan Shalvey and drawn by Danny Earls. It's a double-sized issue serving as a connective bit of tissue between the two story arcs, between the two series. It's going to delve into that new series, that new type of xenomorph. Very, very cool. Very much looking forward to all of that.
1: All right. Some of the best things in the world are 40. I'm not going to say <laughs> what those things are, but our 40th birthday present to Marvel Superhero Secret Wars is a new Battle World series. Happy birthday to. Those people who are forty uh, <laughs> to celebrate this landmark original Secret War series 40th anniversary, Marvel will return to Battle World this November in an all-new four-issue limited series. That's right, we're going back to Battle World. So many weird things have happened there. Um, so Marvel superheroes Secret Wars Battle World is coming your way. The series is written by industry icon. I love this word. Icon, uh, Tan DeFalco, which he is, uh, former Marvel Comics editor in chief and the editor of the original Secret Wars. Joined by acclaimed artist Pat O'Leaf, DeFalco will expose never before told secrets behind one of the most significant conflicts in Marvel history. Dun,
0: dun, dun. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I like this because it's it, it is. Going back into that original series, that original story, and filling in some gaps, I mean, it was a 12-issue series, but this is saying, okay, here's here's things that we didn't see on those pages, because we also had... 30 characters and a lot going on Um, so much yeah so they they, in the press release they said we're going to have revelations beyond the beyonders true motives appearances by characters we didn't even know were in secret wars and more it's going to star spider-man and human torch and really fit between those pages of the original series that were by jim shooter and mike zek and 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 tell us you know give answer some questions we didn't even know we had
1: uh, so Marvel's superhero Secret Wars Battle World number one arrives on November
0: 22nd. Yeah. Uh, all right. Also coming this November, we're going to get weird for Howard the Duck's 50th anniversary. Happy
1: birthday to me, Howard the Duck. Uh, sorry, I really love Howard the Duck, of y'all. Course.
0: as well you should, as well everyone should. This is going to be a wild adventure through the multiverse. It's a big birthday blowout for for Howard. Uh, it's the 50th anniversary. It's a one-shot, giant-sized, spectacular that will reunite, and I love this, writer Chip Zdarsky, artist Joe Canonis, who were behind the amazing, amazing Howard the Duck series that was in 2015. If you've never read that, go to marvel.com, Marvel Do Unlimited, it. right now, read all those issues They are fantastic. On top of that, there's going to be a bunch of other stories in there. We've got uh, sweet boy Daniel Kibblesmith, who is Emmy-nominated writer and comedian, and I love him. uh, And acclaimed artist, freaking so good, Annie Wu. The two of them teaming together to put uh, Howard in the Oval Office. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which makes perfect sense. It's like inspired by a classic Steve Gerber, Gene Colan, 1970s run. Like, the, uh, those. Uh, if you've never read those 70s, Howard the Ducks, go check those out, too. They're so good. Uh, it's got Howard sworn in as president in a very fun political satire. Um, then we've got a video game designer and writer, Merritt Kay, making her Marvel Comics debut alongside artist Will Robson for a cosmic comedy, um, who, where Howard is going to be the leader of the Guardians of the Galaxy, and I'm sure nothing at all will go wrong.
1: Nothing at all will and go wrong.
0: There will be more stories on top of that. I'm sure we'll have revelations about what's coming this November for Howard the Duck number one that's coming November 29th. We'll learn more details
1: soon. Oh, I love it. All right. So speaking of comics, it is that time. Ryan Pinagos. Picks,
0: picks, picks, picks,
1: picks. We got picks this week. Um, I gotta say, your number one pick. Uh, Also my number one pick. It is a amazing story. Um, It just makes me do exactly what comics should do, which is want to read more. And that is Star Wars Dark Droids number one by Charles Sewell, Luke Ross, Alex Sinclair, and VCs Travis Lanham. So good.
0: Yes. Uh, This is a horror book. This is wonderful. It is basically like, what if there was a consciousness that got into the like a droid it's a mix of former flesh and and also former droid and it's a consciousness it ties into all the stuff that charles had done in some of the previous big events hidden empire and stuff like that how it was left and like there's a spark eternal and so all kinds of stuff so if you've been reading star wars events this is like the next big one if you've not Everything is right there. You get you get on the ground floor of what's going on. It's like a vi- yeah. a virus, a parasite that takes over droids and it just starts multiplying and then it's
1: haunting. That is the only word I have for
0: there's it. There's a a whole sequence where the droid the parasite gets aboard an imperial ship and just starts taking over. This is a very violent intense horror story.
1: There's this haunting calm to the tone of the book
0: yes and part of that is the amazing work by luke ross who has just been absolutely cru- been always good but his last year or so on star wars projects he's been crushing it dark droids is a big story crossing over all the main star wars books plus a new title called d squad this is going now starting uh now in august into december so i i highly suggest if you are like at all into star wars or you like horror this is going to be your jam and oh uh, yeah
1: i i definitely could see someone who may not even be like ah, the war of stars a star war mm. still read it it's it is it is yeah it is definitely a spooky speculative fiction horror suspense vibe that i i need to know where yeah. this is going
0: All my books this week are just dark. So it says something about, one, what we're doing, or two, me, because the next one is- How you doing over there, guy? I'm doing great. Uh, We got What If Dark Venom Number 1, which is basically what if the thing uh, bonded with the symbiote suit. And so the, the, the first page is The such cover a... says
1: it all. Yeah. The cover says it all.
0: So good. The, uh, this is written by Stephanie Phillips, art by Jethro Morales, colors by Israel Silva, and lettering by VCs Joe Sabino. The c- recap page is so good. It, it basically says, the war showing secret war, the suit showing the symbiote, the scientist showing Reed the cage and what happens with uh, w- where the caged symbiote is. It's a really good, simple way to get you You know, right ground floor. And it ruled. It is an old school what if story. Brutal, vicious deaths, horrible deaths of beloved characters. Changes, some swerves, good storytelling. I loved it. I don't want to give anything away. But like, if you're a fan of the thing.
1: Also shout out to like Venom's Fantastic Four suit. Like it's, uh, I mean, yeah, I get it. The black Spidey suit. It's great. But um, I'm gonna say. Fantastic Four thing, Venom. Ten out of ten.
0: Yeah. Uh. All right. Speaking of violent books, our the pick of the week is X Men number twenty five. Yo, this is a very violent book. Uh. I love X Men right now. This is written by Jerry Duggan, art by Stefano Caselli, colors by Marte Gracia, and lettering by VCs Clayton Cowles. Um. It it opens up in a, in a wonderful way. It's like first pages. Uh, it's just character stuff for Kate Pride. She's talking to her rabbi. She goes back to the Xavier School to get some stuff. It's really wonderful character stuff because she is going through it right now. She's watched the dream die. Her friend's dead. Like everything is falling apart. It's very confusing, and it's just like something snaps in Kate. And
1: I mean she's, that that will happen.
0: That will happen. But also, you got to remember, we have. For almost 40 years of history of Kate. She's been trained as a assassin, ninja like warrior. She's got that in her and it just like comes back. Uh There's wild stuff in here. Scott Summers has his eyes sewn shut and he's like having conversations with Stasis in wild ways. Um For Kate fans, this is going to tell you what happened to Kate after the gala. And it is like john wick it is like john wick um that's the the best way i could put it but like more more violent it's real good
1: wow ryan panagos yep. once again um i'm gonna go spend all my money
0: Goodbye. yay give us your money but not until after you hear a chat with david betancourt is that right
1: yeah, you Woo. got it right. Woo-hoo.
0: Author of The Avengers Assembled the Origin Story of Earth's Mightiest Heroes. We'll be back right after this.
1: You're listening to This Week in Marvel. I'm Angelique Rocher. I'm Ryan Panagos. Oh, hello, Ryan Panagos. Are you excited about our interview?
0: Yes, I am excited to hear it because I was not there for it. Tell us a little bit about who you're talking to, what we're talking about.
1: Uh, So we are talking with journalist and author and comic book writer, uh, David Betancourt. Uh, He is the author of The Avengers Assembled, The Origin of Earth's Mightiest Heroes, which is an origin story in prose. Uh, I'm really, really excited because David is actually a two-time Eisner Award nominee who writes about like all aspects of comic book culture, um, TVs, movies, games, action figures. The man's desk is like a museum of gorgeous figurines, action figures, and models. It's amazing, um, including our sweet, sweet baby Bishop. Um, and David actually has become a really good friend of mine. He wrote one of the first essays for Marvel's Voices, uh, back Marvel's Voices number one, and has written another one, and now he's been in Marvel's Voices Comunidades, and he's written a Spider Spasher story, and so he's just doing all these dope things, including his work at the Washington Post, um, Comic Riffs blog. So, you know, I'll let him tell you all about it. David, (laughs) my friend, my colleague. um, I feel like we've known each other our entire life, but we really met three and a half years ago.
2: Feels a lot longer than that.
1: It does. I remember uh, the first time. That we talked. I had pestered Evan Narciss, uh, another comic book writer, and I said, I have to get in touch with this man named Deb Bedding <laughs> just <laughs> mispronouncing your name every which way. Uh, my friend first. Soraya, my friend Soraya McDonald says he's amazing, and I've, I've got to get, I've, I, I I need to talk to him.
2: Soraya, Soraya is you know, Soraya was like a rock for me at the uh. Washington Post, and as soon as I, as soon as you said Soraya, I said, Okay, who. Whoever this person is with this cool, also cool French last name, um, (laughs) I need to meet them.
1: (laughs) Um, Little did I know that your name was 100 percent French and not Americanized. Uh, But it's so funny how small the world is. So Soraya had been mentioning your name and Soraya is my best friend's little sister. Carol McDonald, who I'd worked with in D.C. and was actually working with in D.C. when I said, hey, David, what are you doing? I'd love to come talk to you. And you're like, sure. Come meet me at The Washington Post.
2: (laughs) Well, we met at the Soho uh, connected to The Washington Post. So we had some good food, too, while we were chatting.
1: I got to eat, so that was what was important. And yeah. then you let me somehow convince you to write one of the first Marvel's Voices essays. Mm-hmm. Um, And, you know, I feel like everything fell in place from there. We introduced you to folks at Marvel. You came in and did an awesome second essay, which I was thinking about to you the other day because that essay was about trading cards.
2: Uh, one of my favorite essays, yeah.
1: Yo, and Kith just came out with the collaboration with Asics, like the trading cards from the 90s, and I immediately text you like, look at the foil.
2: I know, I know. God, those, I mean, but those, I, I enjoyed writing that trading card essay because those were really the beginning of my Marvel Comics education. You know, I just got, this is like early 90s. This is like right at the time of Chris Claremont and Jim Lee's, you know, legendary run that that X-Men number one that literally sold a million copies and no other comic has ever sold more copies. Um, but that that was around the time when those trading cards said I'm 11, 12 years old. I'm just, you know, I've been reading comics for a while, but at that point I was, you know, whatever was on the spinner rack at 7 Eleven, I'll grab it. You know, hopefully I have a dollar. That that's actually how I learned about tax in the United States is that I would go to 7 Eleven with a dollar and say, give me this comic, and they'd be like, it's a dollar seven cents. I'm like, but it says a dollar on the comic. Where's the seven cents coming from? He's like, you gotta pay tax, buddy. So I'd have to go back and get a quarter from my abuela so I could get my comic. But at that point, I was a very casual comics reader. But when those trading cards came out, because as a kid, you've only got so much budget. You know, you're you're at the mercy of your parents and your uncles and your aunts disposable income, whoever's feeling generous to take you to the comic shop. Thankfully, when I was a kid, comics were only a dollar. But those cards allowed me to get to know characters that I otherwise wouldn't have been able to learn about. And I felt like after collecting the entire series that I, you know, had the the Marvel, the entire Marvel Universe in the palm of my hand.
1: Well, and I love that because you are also a huge baseball fan. Mm -hmm. And I love how that really coincides because you've got the stats, right? You've got what their power sets are, like their levels, um, you know. How did you get into comics? Because you didn't always live in the continental United States.
2: Well, I've, you know, my, my father's family is from Puerto Rico. Uh, my dad was born here in the States. I was born here in the States as well. Uh, my grandfather was born on the island. Uh, he came to America, D.C. area, when he was about eight years old. Uh, My grandmother came to Brooklyn from Puerto Rico when she was 15. My grandparents met in their 20s up in New York. Uh, But I come from a long line of comic readers. You know, my grandfather was a big Prince Valiant fan. That was his comic strip that he read every Sunday. Yeah, yeah. So I always remember, ironically, you know, him reading the Washington Post, uh, which is funny because he was an employee for the Washington Times for a long time, which is the other newspaper here. He worked in advertising for the Washington Times for years. Um, But he would always read the Sunday paper, uh, usually for the sports section, the funnies, and he always read Prince Valiant. That kind of trickled down to my father, who was a big Marvel Comics fan. Um, My dad was born in 1964. So when he was coming up, that was like literally around the time when Marvel was really coming into their own as a comic book company. Um, My father was also very young when I was born. My parents were 16 when I was born. Um, So my dad likes to joke around that we grew up together. Uh, so, he was very much still reading comic books when he was 20 and 21 and in his dorm room at the University of Maryland. And I would, you know, be hanging out with him in his dorm reading his comics. Uh, ironic because I now teach at the University of Maryland. So, my dad gets a big trip out of that. Um, I teach a course on comic book culture and media. But I come from a long line of comic readers. My grandfather was wow. always reading the funnies. My dad was a Marvel guy. Um, his favorite character was the Punisher. So, we used to read Punisher comics as a kid. There's actually a Punisher story in the early 90s where the Punisher had to get plastic surgery and he became a black man.
1: He was a black man for four issues. Yep.
2: Yeah. So like that. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. I know it,
2: it was it was a little, you know. All right, but, you know, yeah. at, but for 12-year-old Dave, I was like, this is crazy. I remember I ruined the surprise for my father. He was very upset. But those were those were the issues. So my dad was reading Punisher comics in the early 90s. When I was a kid, I was reading uh, Chris Claremont and Jim Lee's X-Men. And that kind of, you know, that was where my comic book journey began. But when you take it back to the trading cards, that's when it really exploded. And it turned into not just me being a casual reader, but a collector.
1: And I love that because you're not just a collector of the comics. You are a collector of the art. You are a collector of the action figures. You are a collector of... the fine art um, statues.
2: A lot of people come by my desk. It's like a tourist stop if you're in the newsroom at The Washington Post because it's just covered with superhero action figures. There's a gigantic uh, galactus uh, with a silver surfer in his palm that kind of hovers over my computer. Um, it's It's quite the sight.
1: I love it and I think that makes you so unique in that. You came up with this, but it's also kind of part of your DNA. So I'm really excited because this new book, The Avengers Assembled, um, a lot of folks may not know, but it's an in-depth biographical take. Now, it's prose, but it's really going back, um, and I know we've kind of talked a little bit about this, looking at the first hundred issues, like maybe the first decade, Um, max of the Avengers team. And so you're looking at those key first members, obviously um, the first, first, you know, Thor, Tony, Janet Van Dyne, Hank Pym, Bruce Banner, um, and then how they branched out um, with Hawkeye and vision and black widow You know, talk to me a little bit about the process of doing this because you had to step back several eras and like dig deep.
2: It was, you know, it was a daunting task because when DK reached out to me and said they were interested in me writing and they they first asked if I would be interested. And, you know, somebody says, hey, would you like to write an Avengers novel? Um, That's not something I'm going to say no to. Anyone that knows me knows that I was going to take that opportunity. Um, But I remember us having a meeting myself, uh, the people at DK Publishing, the people at Marvel Entertainment, and we tried to figure out what is this book going to be. And there was a general consensus that we wanted it to be an origin story of the team. Because don't forget, you know, this is the Avengers. This is 60 years of history. This is a roster that is constantly updating, constantly evolving, constantly changing. There's so many different iterations, so many different eras from every decade, every, no matter how old you are, you have your version of the Avengers. Um, but when we decided we wanted it to be an origin story, to me, that meant going back and looking at the original formation of the team. And so what I said I would do, I said, let me go back and look at the first hundred issues and let's see what we have from issue one to issue one hundred. So you go through it and you know there are the major moments. There's the formation of the team, there's the first time they go up against Loki. There's all the conflict between them and the Hulk. You know, Is the Hulk around because they want him around, or are they just trying to keep him around until so they can figure him out? Uh, there's the arrival of Captain America, who at that point was thought to be long gone. Uh, going up against Loki for the first time. Uh, by the time I got through the first 100 issues, I remember saying to myself, because the book ends with the Kree-Skrull War. Uh, looking through the first 100 issues, I identified that as kind of like the defining moment of the first 100 issues of the Avengers. So Mm. it's an origin story. We're getting the origin of the team. We're also getting the origins of each individual member. Like if you look at the book, the chapters initially are broken up. They begin with a chapter on each member. And then it's, you know, them assembling for the first time against Loki. And then there's, you know, Captain America's arrival and, What happens when the roster changes? And here comes Hawkeye. And here comes the twins, uh, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. But the the end point for me was uh, the Kree-Skrull War. So at that point, it became, okay, we know we're going to begin it with the origins of each member. We know we're going to end it, a big exclamation point, with the Kree-Skrull War, which the best way to describe the Kree-Skrull War is that's when the Avengers went – they kind of graduated from being the protectors of Earth. To the protectors of the universe, you know that's when they kind of figured out that the universe was a lot bigger than just the nine planets within their solar system, or eight planets now, but I guess back then it was nine planets. Um, but it was very much uh, identifying the kree Scroll War as the endpoint, and then trying to uh, pick the what I thought were the most defining moments of what happened between the formation of the team in the preschool School War. Yeah.
1: So for you, because I, I know you've read a lot uh, about each one of these characters and you've done a lot of research both in your work as a journalist, but also as a fan. How does this differ from previous takes on Avengers Origins, um, both in structure, but also like the point of view? It's, you know,
2: it was, it was a challenge because you say it's going to be an origin story. So you want to write the story in a modern way. You don't want the story to feel as dated as those issues, but you're also leaning on source material that is, you know, going all the way back to the sixties. So it was a very unique opportunity to one, see if I could actually pull this off. (laughs) And and two, uh, because it was a learning process along the way. I'm like, you know, okay, let's, you know, send this off to my editor in London and see what he thinks. And thankfully, you know, my, my buddy Alistair Dougal, uh, my editor in London, uh, who was great through this whole process, thought everything was okay. But it was a unique experience because there is dialogue in this book. The dialogue that you see in this book is directly pulled from those initial 100 issues. So it was a matter of building prose around those conversations that were being had, trying, because I wasn't just, I wasn't just picking – what I thought were you know, the top 25 or so moments between the first 100 issues to fit into a book. I also had to look at what was being said and what were the most important statements that were being uttered by these characters uh, in their you know, beginnings and in their origins. So it was a very, it was a unique experience. You know, Most people, they're writing books, they're the one, usually the author is coming up with what is going to be said. In this case, what's being said has already been said and I have to figure out what's best to use for the book. It was, it was, it it wasn't easy, but it was fun. You know, it's any, anytime I can dive in the comics for me, it never feels like work. Um, That's, you know, comics are not easy to make. We all know that everyone here has been a part of that process, but it's such a rewarding process because, you know, all of us are in this because we love this medium, because we love this format. We, 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 we love where these comics take us when we read them. So it was just another way to utilize my love of comics, but apply it in a different way in terms of how the story was told.
1: And I, I love that because what it also kind of takes into account is this idea that even the writers of the comics back in the 60s couldn't have known the impact of some of the moments or the dialogue. They they didn't know what was gonna end up being the 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 top selling. Book or the most impactful that was going to influence or inspire a writer 20, 30 years later. You know, for you, what was your biggest goal as an author, like, in telling this story?
2: Uh, for me, my biggest goal was to come out of this not being an Avengers expert, per se, because it was, it was really funny because had DK Publishing come to me and said, we want you to write an X-Men book, or we want you to write a Spider-Man book, or we want you to write even a Dark Hawk book to to really go back, you know, because Dark Hawk was my boy back in the day uh, with the amulet and the armor and all that stuff and the raptors. Uh, I was not the biggest Avengers reader as a kid. Um, I dabbled in some West Coast Avengers, wherever Hawkeye was hanging out. I thought that was cool, so I was really happy that Hawkeye was going to be a part of the book. But I was not the most avid Uh, it was almost like I was an avid reader of pretty much everything else but the Avengers. I knew what the Avengers were. I was always keeping track of the rosters. I remember when Spider-Man joined and and Rage and all all those characters. But I didn't really become a serious Avengers comic book reader until the first movie came out. And and we had the run uh, that kind of led to the most recent Secret Wars. That's really when I jumped on and... So it was really almost like I was finally diving into that world that I always knew was there, but had never really submerged myself into like I did with the X-Men and with Spider-Man. Uh, so I it, I really took it as a chance to, the most fun thing for me was I know these were the comics my dad was reading when he was a kid. My dad was a big Avengers guy. He's very excited about this book. I'm actually mailing him his first copy uh, this week. Um So it was really fun to kind of dive into an era that I'm, because we all have our eras. You know, I read comics growing up from the 80s and 90s. I read all the modern stuff now. We all have those eras that we kind of know are there, but don't really dive into much. And for me, that was the 60s. You know, from a historical standpoint, I know all that stuff, but I had never really done a deep dive into it. And this required a deep dive um, to get to know the team, to get to know the major players, to get to know the villains. And uh it was challenging but rewarding at the same time.
1: Did you have a favorite chapter to work on? Like and you know I'm like holding back like all my love because you know my era was the eighties when it comes to the Avengers, but you know, was there like and whether it was because you you figured out the 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 puzzle pieces, because again, this like this feels like a huge jigsaw that you're talking about right now. Um You know, what was your favorite part? Like, did you have a favorite chapter and why?
2: Wow. I I feel like this is kind of like when people say you're asking me to pick between my children kind of thing. But favorite chapter, I really enjoyed. Let me see. I actually really enjoyed, there's a chapter on the Red Guardian, believe it or not. Really? Because when I was writing this book, I was also, as a reporter, covering the Black Widow movie. Uh. And I actually just interviewed uh, David Harbour about his role as the Red Guardian in the Black Widow. Now, I any, any type of alternate version of Captain, I don't know what it is about this, but ever since, like, one of my favorite characters ever and a character that I hope I can get my hands on as I hopefully continue to write more for Marvel is U.S. Agent. I love U.S. Agent. Um, just his the the look, the kind of like dark rogue Captain America. I'm like really into that. I'm really into like dark rogue versions. I movies.
1: have so many feelings, and most of it is because I've I've been writing about Battlestar, and I'm just gonna keep my mouth shut. Just keep going.
2: <laughs> I say that to say your feelings aside, that I would always take into consideration because you know we go you and I go way back. I don't know if you remember uh, Jeff Loeb's. Uh, hulk run um mm-hmm. rolk red hulk whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. um and that's back when ed mcginnis was doing the art and ed mcginnis drew a really really cool red guardian and that was kind of not my introduction but i had kind of forgotten that the red guardian existed so i was like man this guy's like an evil captain america he's got the shield you know he's you know I, it just it worked for me as a character. Like I'm 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 very much into the, part of the reason I love comics is for the visuals, and I also love art. I used to draw when I was a kid, so that's always been a really cool character. So that was a character that popped up in the first 100 issues. So I'm like, we absolutely have to have a chapter on the Red Guardian. So uh, if I had a favorite, uh, because you know they're they're Captain America and the Red Guardian are going back and forth a lot that chapter, uh, yeah. battling it out. So I'll I'll say that one for now.
1: I adore that you're like, oh, he's not great, but I love him. Like that's (laughs) that's when you know that someone just truly loves writing and someone truly loves characters. I don't dislike U.S. Agent. It was just like, that's the one? That's who we're choosing?
2: Okay. You couldn't tell me that was a cool, cool suit. 10-year-old Dave Betancourt, that suit, me drawing in my pad as a kid, I saw that U.S. Agent suit and I was like, that's really cool. So the Red Guardian is kind of in that same neighborhood, if you will, of being like an alternate, maybe not all the way good version. Because the the Red Guardian in that chapter, because it's based directly on his first appearance in Avengers Comics, he's a very conflicted character who has a history with the Black Widow and has a very, you know, his story is tragic in, in this particular chapter, which, of course, everything is based on the comics that's one thing we have to establish right away is like the the movies not the live-action entertainment had no influence on this the influence was all those initial first 100 issues of the comics
1: which I love and it's such a nuanced place to be because it's not just that it's based on the comics it's based on the comics within the era that you're working on um, which just gives such a rich history of the evolution of a character by having that foundation knowing that though and knowing that these characters have come a really long way. Um uh, some of them longer than others. Uh, I like Hawkeye now. Um the 80s Hawkeye. I don't know. I, don't know. I love to hate him. Um, <laughs> love to hate I him. I love the
2: costume as a kid uh, though. I, it doesn't work oh, now. the
1: costume was But oh.
2: that purple that purple was dope. Mwah. Of course when I when I when I think Hawkeye now I think of the the Eisner winning run. Um, drawn by David Aha, and written by why is it a Matt Fraction? Yes, my oh, God, yeah. those those comics are oh so, yeah, so uh, good.
1: Yeah, yeah, because yeah. that's the Hawkeye I love. But also, he had his role, and I think that's what I love about talking to you and having kind of this res- perspective. And I'm so excited about this book is because every character has their role. Right. Like every character plays a part on the team. The personalities fit where they need to fit. Right. Like you. Hawkeye
2: is very cocky in this book. Yeah. These are based off the 60s books. But he's he's a problem in here because he doesn't respect authority too much. He's got a very rough upbringing uh, growing up in the circus with his brother that we get into. And, you know, he feels like he's the one who should be leading the Avengers. So there's, you know, Hawkeye.
1: He felt like that for. Several decades. Yes, late. yes, that's that um, never went and away. And still, no. <laughs> uh, but I say that to say, like, there's always like these surprising things. Like, you probably just surprised someone who may not have read this, like the circus. um You know, what if anything surprised you the most while researching this book?
2: It's very interesting. You know, there, there's just there are a few characters. I mean, I'm a big Thor guy. Jason Aaron's run on Thor. Uh, which is so fantastic. And I dabbled in Thor as a kid as well. But I felt like I had a chance to reconnect with some characters that I had not taken deep dives with in a long time and to be able to do that from their origin standpoint and going back because I know all of these characters. I'm familiar with every single character that appears in this book. I knew who each character was before I dived into writing this book, but I had not necessarily taken deep dives into their original appearances in the original comics. It was almost like taking a class. It was very, it was very fun. It was very rewarding. And it was important because I wanted, I wanted to capture the essence of what it was like when they were first making their appearances and make sure that got into the book.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think this is the interesting thing. So, so for for folks who are reading the book, um, yes, it's the first hundred issues, but as we know, the Avengers are an ever-evolving door. Like one of my favorite, favorite, favorite scenes is like there's one where like every single Avenger and their cousin are sitting in Avengers mansion and they're deciding. Um, this is the one where they're like, Yeah, go ask Falcon. Um I'm- <laughs> sorry it is just like one of the most gorgeous scenes because like people have got their legs up on computer consoles and people are like leaning against the wall and it it just makes you recall how big the avengers will become through the 80s into 90s you know you cover the first hundred issues and for those who'll be reading the book you jump Um, to more present day to kind of give a little bit of a a forward look um, in the last chapter. But for you, do you feel like there was anyone you weren't able to cover that you really wanted to, one, because you already wrote 25 chapters and 300 (laughs) pages, um, you know, that you didn't get to cover because they didn't appear in the first 100 issues or they're not on the current team?
2: It was was challenging because... You know, I'd say 90% of the book is dealing with the original team and the initial roster change. So this book is primarily the original roster, then you've got the arrival of Captain America, and then you've got, you know, there there's a brief period where so, so the, some of the power players in the team have gone, Hulk, Thor, Giant yeah. Man, they, they're all out And you out talk of there. about
1: some of the core people, because you talk about Black Widow, you talk about... Hawkeye, you talk about, again, Scarlet Witch, um, you talk about Quicksilver, you you have a, a space where, obviously, when Cap bows out and, and Black Panther comes in on this beautiful right, rec- hey, by the way, this dude's coming, um, he's from this place called Wakanda, I vouch for him. <laughs> yes. Okay, thanks, thanks, Cap. Right.
2: It was it was so fun rediscovering that too. It's like, oh, Cap just made a call and here comes the King of Wakanda.
1: It just shows up immediately into a fight, but you know, just, just details.
2: Look, it was fun. Mo- most of this book, again, it's the original roster and the initial changes that took place within those first 100 issues, that being the arrival of the twins, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, the arrival of Black Panther, um, Hawkeye, such and such. But for the most part, that initial core within the first 100 issues is the majority of the book. But we, and when I say we, I mean myself, DK Publishing and Marvel, we did want there to be a little bit of a flavor of one of the more recent and more up-to-date rosters. So there is one chapter dedicated to one of my favorite rosters, which has Sam Wilson as Captain America, Miles Morales, Nova, Kamala Khan, Vision... Um, An Iron Man that's like getting back on his feet. Uh, so one of the final chapters is getting to know that team to show. Um, and what was really important about that team is there are a couple of original members in there. Iron Man's in there. The Vision's in there. So the point of throwing that specific team in, in there was to show how the idea of the Avengers has evolved, but is still very much a thing and still very much means something to the world.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I love that because I think the Avengers, you know, obviously you have got your teams, right? The Fantastic Four, the Avengers, the X-Men, they all shifted and changed and new members. And you've got the mighty Avengers. And just like you've got X-Men Blue, X-Men Red, X-Men Gold. Like you have your West Coast Avengers. You've got the young Avengers. But like this really, truly focuses on this core foundation um and that set us apart right um so for you if you were to recommend to anybody you know after they read your book you know what's another team that you feel is like yo you've got to go learn more about this team and and their origin story
2: one thing obviously you know it's only so much you can fit in one book. We clearly picked which era we wanted to focus on with the origin of the team. Um, but obviously, you're right. That leaves a lot on the table in terms of the history of the Avengers and teams that have come after. Um, I was always fascinated with the teams, Avengers teams that had Hank McCoy, the Beast. Because uh, one thing we kind of get into with the arrival of the twins is the fact that they were mutants. And what that meant in terms of their place in the world and what the world thought of them. And I was always fascinated with Beast kind of being a bridge between the Avengers and the X-Men. He's somebody who was both and someone who believes in the mantra of the Avengers, but also has been on the other side of how the world views the X-Men. So he's someone who, you know, is protecting the world as an Avenger, even though as an X-Men, you know, he's looked upon differently. So, uh those teams with him on there were always fascinating to me because I always thought it was really cool that he was not just a bridge between the two teams, but that he still thought it was worth trying to be an Avenger. Like if I was an X-Men, the last thing I would probably want to do is go save the world that hates me. But uh, I was always fascinated specifically with him and the fact that he could float between two teams.
1: Yeah, and I think it's also interesting, and I kind of want to point this out for folks who are who are reading the book because it's something that we kind of attacked in my superheroes black. Is that the reminder again? Is that this is talking about the origin story from the POV of when the characters were originally introduced, right? So, like for instance, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver aren't mutants currently, right? So. Right. You know, that's something that that, you know, just to take into the understanding that this is really written from the space and time of that initial introduction in the 60s, which I think is is really cool because you also get to see that evolution.
2: It was fun. It was fun to take them back to that. And you're absolutely right. They're not mutants now. And that was a question that came up because. When I was going through planning for the book knowing it was going to be an origin story i absolutely knew there had to be a chapter on the twins i absolutely knew i wanted to delve into you know the fact that quicksilver looks exactly like magneto like you know magneto's not denying that baby um so i had to go to them and be like you know what what are we going to do here because you know in the current state of marvel comics the twins have a different there's a different approach to them and they're not mutants anymore Um, but it was decided that because we were basing the book on those original comics from the 60s that we could include that time period where they were classified as mutants, which was fun for me.
1: I love it. 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 Okay, so for folks who want to check out the book, who want more information about you and like all the stuff that you're doing, give us the deets.
2: All right, so the book, The Avengers Assembled, comes out August 29th. Um, it's available wherever books are sold you can also get it on amazon uh your your bookstores online um you can follow me on X as it's called now uh formerly Twitter adc fanboy is my handle um you can also follow me on Instagram David Bettencourt writes
1: and just to be clear that's because he's from the District of Columbia
2: yes it is not <laughs> it is not about uh Brand X. <laughs> as, as, it's uh, not,
1: it's no, 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 no. He's I, a fanboy from the District I, of Columbia. I got that
2: so much like, oh, a DC fanboy. So you only like DC comics. Um, you know, I couldn't fit a Washington fanboy into the handle. So DC was a lot, you know, DC's where I'm from. DC is a part of who I am. So for me, it's always meant two things. It's meant a comic book company and the city where I'm from. So apologies for the confusion, but no, it is. Uh, there, there, there's no tricks here. It just means District of Columbia.
1: We still love you, David.
2: Thank you. gracias. gracias.
1: Thank you.
0: That was David Betancourt, and The Avengers assembled the origin story of Earth's Mightiest Heroes. It's available August 29th, 2023. Pre-order it wherever you get your books. Enjoy it, love it, live it.
1: Go do it. I also love the fact that um, he stuck to the original dialogue so i think for folks who really want to like learn about who the avengers were when they first began this is going to this is going to be a good book for them so now it is time for community aka this week in messages but before we get to that here is our question of the week uh i had a chance to get you know we taught talk, we talked to david about you know the original core members and some of the the newer ones that came in scarlet witch quicksilver black panther like so on and so forth but there's been a lot of superheroes on the avengers right and then there's also been the mighty avengers and there's been regionals and the west coast avengers and the young avengers I got to know, Ryan, mm. I, I think I think we should ask which three or so based on your recommendation, because you definitely typed this while I was talking, uh, which three or so could be more heroes would be on your ideal Avengers squad?
0: Oh, man, that's so tough.
1: It's hard because you got to think about the powers. You got to think about who balances who. You got to think about who's short range, who's long range. You know, you got brain versus brawn. Like it's 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 a lot. Like
0: I I could go quirky and be like I gotta have D-Man, I gotta have Namor, and give me Stingray. Like, you got two water-based dudes who are always at each other's throats and, like, that could bring a really interesting dynamic because Stingray is probably going to get beat up by Namor all the time. Um, And then D-Man is just, like, the heart and soul. Of course, you got to have your your big hitters, but, like, you know, I I would build a team around conflict. That's that's one of the things you want to do. You want to find what characters could have conflict. Um, Mm. But also you could put in, Mm -hmm. like... Um, put in a, a jerk like Star Fox, and then She Hulk, and have them in there together. Um, and then find a character like I would bring in maybe someone even different, like a Rogue. You know, bring a Rogue. Ooh. She's been on the Unity Squad. She counts okay. fully counts. Okay. Bring Fair. in that, and she would Fair. not have any of Star Fox's nonsense. no one would. And so that you I'm bring in say, a lot rogue of rogue
1: Wouldn't have anybody's nonsense.
0: Yeah, um, but truly it would be. MODOK, Hulk, and so, D-Man.
1: So, did you? You can't.
0: Secret Modok Avengers. Not, MODOK was within the confines of an Avenger squad did, during a run of Secret Avengers. You, I'm going to say really, it counts. Boom.
1: Wow. Wow.
0: hmm What about you, Angelique?
1: I don't, I, after that, I'm not. Isn't it, mm, uh, um. All right, let's see. Uh, I would have to go Monica Rambeau because everybody knew that was going to happen. Yeah. Um, Do we get to pull in what ifs?
0: Ooh, if we're pulling what ifs, then like that's what I'm saying. Like I was, that's
1: I was saying. I was gonna. I'm just like Peggy Carter. Actually, take that back. Danielle Cage, Danielle Cage, Captain America. Hell yeah. Monica Rambeau. Yeah. And Amadeus Cho.
0: Ooh, Amadeus Cho. That's good. Uh, But we want to hear from you uh let us know three you could go five six whatever you got out there tweet your answers using hashtag this week in marvel you can put them on threads you can put them on instagram but you gotta like tag us so we see them please uh send those answers use the hashtag this week in marvel email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com send a message to our facebook page at facebook.com slash this week in marvel please make sure to tell us it's okay to read twim on the show Uh, we've got stuff from emails and facebook this week so it all works however it works for you because we're going to talk about last week's question of the week what other characters should have the rogers the musical treatment
1: Ooh, so we got some tweets. Herbe Dorotillo at Herbe underscore Excelsior. Uh, my favorite character should have the Rogers, the musical treatment. And it is Kamala Khan, a.k.a. Ms. Marvel in her own musical, The Magnificent Musical Adventures of Ms. Marvel. I
0: would say that Ms. Marvel's, I think, going to come up a couple times. But, like, can you imagine a big showstopper? And Big N? You know, like a big...
1: Oh, yeah, that's the song. That is right? actually the one that gets the Tony. <laughs>
0: uh, next up, from <laughs> Billy K. at Sly Sonic, who said, Howard the Duck, if it ain't funk, he don't feel it.
1: Come on, like an entire rock band and a guitar solo. Yeah. It's oh. it, We already have the blueprint. I know. Uh, Karis Pollard at a Karis Pollard for a musical. I think there are a few key criteria. Okay. All right. All right. Powers that are easy to show practically a story arc that fits your classic three act, even if it's only part of their story and they wouldn't be wildly weird singing I don't know about that one, but I'm going to go with it. Uh, that last one ruled out Bucky as emo Crowling is not really the vibe for a stage musical. I don't know. I'm Spring Awakening mm. was really great. Mm. Uh, the powers rule out Ms. Marvel and Mr. Fantastic and a bunch of others, too. I think Emma Frost has a shot, if only for the costumes. Fair. Oh, yeah. But I'm going to go with Nadia Van Dyne Ooh. escaping the Red Room, getting to America, the truth about her father, embracing her stepmother. It's a proper emotional story. Showing shrinking is tougher, but I can see ways to make it work with backdrops. And she's totally a singer. Yes. Okay. She went with the dramatic, yeah. like, coming of age, musical, like, vibe. And I was just like, can we have... A funny thing happened on the way to the floor.
0: <laughs> but that's that's the beauty of the Marvel Universe. We can have all these kinds all of, of stories.
1: True. All of it.
0: Uh, up next, not a scroll at Red Legs, Robbie, who said, Vision, please. Musical notes. I request elaboration. Music notes. Wow. I like it. Uh, yeah, Vision, musical. Wow.
1: Uh... Well done on the fiddle on the roof, by the way. Thanks.
0: Um, You could also do a very upsetting uh, play if you take the Vision story, that comic book series, and just bring that to the stage. Everybody gets sad.
1: Not fun home. Mm. (laughs) All right. Uh, Cameron Leverton at Leverton. Cameron, I think the next Marvel musical should be Deadpool the musical. It's already been written. We just need vicinity reynolds oh ryan to bring it to stage i don't disagree
0: i would be all about a deadpool musical seems seems like a slam dunk
1: as long as there is an entire song about tacos and enchiladas
0: anything is possible
1: enchiladas i'm telling you it's <laughs> it's it writes itself yeah that cheese
0: Time for our emails. First up from Mallory Vance, who said, This week's question excited me because I produce shows with an independent nonprofit theater company called Phoenix Tears Productions in my everyday life. So I'm always thinking about characters and stories becoming shows. I think if I was going to create a musical, it would be really fun to do a jukebox style musical for Gwenpool. She could be aware the entire time she is a character in a musical and reworking her comic altering powers to allow her to alter things in the show could be really, really fun. I think the show's plot would have to be about her being transported into the musical and trying to find a way back out. It'd be really funny and self-aware and could have a bunch of other characters for almost no reason just because we want them there. That is so fun, Mallory. I love that. That's
1: that's kind of perfect. Uh, From James Marsh, I want to see Embiggen. The Kamala Khan story. See, you said Mm -hmm, it, Ryan. mm -hmm. Uh, Kamala's I Want... (laughs) Kamala's I Want song could feature herself, insert fanfic ideas of joining the superheroes she idolizes, particularly... One Carol Danvers, a budding will-they-won't-they-love duet with Bruno, amen, buddy song with Nakia. You can switch between big Bollywood numbers with Kamala's family and more contemporary music with Kamala's doing her super heroics, leading a beautiful conclusion where she blends them and creates her own unique musical style representing finding balance in her life. Mm-hmm. Well done, Jim.
0: Yeah. Well done. Truly. Uh, we got one from Heather G. Uh, Hello, Ryan and Angelique. Heather says, hello, y'all. Love the fam. We had another great dinner table conversation about who we'd like to see as a musical. Fiona wants to see Bucky the musical to see him sing as the Winter Soldier. It's giving Nick Fury singing vibes. Nolan wants to see Stan Lee the musical. Histories a la Hamilton are his favorite stage genre. Mom would like to see a musical about Wanda in the style of Wicked going through her darker times only to rise again. Dad wants to throw cats in the trash and plays it with Marvel Meow the musical. Um, yes. Um, yes. One, I would love a Marvel Meow the musical, but two, never throw cats in the trash. I love cats
1: so much. From Facebook, Bryn Anderson, well done. This week in messages, give me Dazzler the musical. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's, it's, it's a disco musical waiting to happen. So now that's the question. Are we going... Original Dazzler? Is this gonna be a disco musical? Or is it gonna be a rock musical? Like is it a rock opera?
0: Allison has had her eras. She went from disco. She went to eighties with like swoopy hair and like Yeah, she did. You know, she did her Pat Benatar look. She's had the more like updated modern stuff. She's like fun and poppy. She's everything. She's Dazzler. We could have everything in that. One more from Facebook. This is Carly saying an answer to this coming week's question. And if Ryan can have a musical involving his favorite Modoc, then there could be one for a certain fur boy. You know who I'm talking about since you call me his champion. Yes, a Rocket musical starting from him being a sweet, cute little thing. And we're having the comic version of the High Evolutionary. And the opening number is when he finds Lil' Rocket in the snow on Half World than helping him. Plus, there could be a scene where he meets Lila. Um, I think you're just also setting us all up to be Crushed. sobbing. Sobbing Crushed. in the theater.
1: Why is Carly. everyone trying to rip my heart out today? Because
0: it's fun. That's what we oh, do. Rude. Great.
1: Rude. Yeah.
0: All right, that is it for us this week. This episode of This Week in Marvel is produced by Jasmine Estrada, Cara McGurk-Allison, Isabel Robertson, Ryan and Angelique Crochet.
1: Our Senior Manager, Audio Production and Development, is Brad Barton.
0: And Jill DeBoff is our Director
1: of Audio. I'm Ryan. I'm Angelique. This is Marvel. Your Universe.